Some things to remind you of uh, this week, if you are on finance, finance meeting on Tuesday evening, come on up for that. Also next Sunday morning, United Methodist Men's Breakfast here at 7.30, come on up for that as well. And Erica wanted me to remind you, we are having a meeting for to, to try and, and re resurrect the Living Christmas card, which is next Sunday, right after the service. So if, you, if you'd like to help with that, there's, there's going to be... Plenty of things that anybody can do, so come on out and, uh, and meet on that, would you please? Also wanted to just remind you, if you haven't seen the big thank yous in your bulletin, uh, big thank yous to Ron and Kathleen Lance for their gift to fix the entry doors, and a big thank you to Doris Pierce and Kate Hinchman for the, the, 
your lights for the steeple. So if you've been past there when the steeple's on, pretty cool. It's been a long time. All right. That's enough from me. What else we got? I do actually have one quick announcement um, for uh, the four children who I have. Well, actually, they're not really even children anymore. They're young ladies who I have attending confirmation class. That will begin next Sunday at 8 p.m. in the library. <coughs> all right. Good morning. How are we all today? Good. I have a cold. It is not COVID. I had a COVID test. It was negative, just a cold. But um, just wanted to let you know, my voice kind of goes in and out. That's what's going on with me this morning. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for a call to worship? Ready. All right. We have seen the light of God. On high mountains of celebration and in the ecstasy of a lover's embrace. We have seen the light of God. Through the bitter storm of betrayal. We have seen the light of God. With eyes of expectation, with eyes that have been opened, with eyes that have been We have seen the light of God. Please rise in body and spirit for the light of Christ reading and prayer. <clears throat> the light of Christ reading today is Ephesians. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 17. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity becomes the day's because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We have a prayer in unison. God of justice, peace, and righteousness, come into our midst this evening. Breathe your breath, your spirit of prophecy, your energy. Dream that we might follow the ways of our extraordinary. 
right, it's time for some prayer and praise. I have praise this morning. I started getting a runny, 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 runny nose on Thursday. Yeah, I think I got it from you. On Thursday morning, and I thought, oh, no, <gasps> is it COVID? So I ended up getting a COVID test, and it was not COVID. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so I am lifting that praise. It's just a cold. You know, I never thought there'd be a day when we'd be happy that we have a cold, right? Yeah. I'm thrilled that I have a cold. Oh, God, as your son drew apart. To be in prayer with you, we offer our prayers for the transformation of the world and the church. Lord, today we want to lift before you Bev Fletcher, who's got a broken ankle and I believe had surgery on that ankle, if I remember correctly. Did, does anybody know about that? Mm -hmm. Read that, that she was having surgery? Yes. So we'll have to keep her in our prayers, Lord. Please be with her as she goes through this ordeal. It's always painful when they do anything with your feet because your feet have lots of nerve endings, Lord. So just be with her and, and keep her pain contained and keep her upbeat and keep her knowing that you're with her and care for her. We want to lift prayers, Lord, to poor Donna Smith, a friend in North Carolina who will begin chemo this week. Prayers for her health and healing. Um, Lord, Cancer is a devastating diagnosis for any person and family, so please be with them in, in these hours as they learn to confront and deal with that new reality for their family. And may the outcome be good, and, and may you send your healing power upon them and give them peace. And for Susan Barnett, aunt of Jeff Barnett, who has begun her chemo treatment for her breast cancer. Um, and again, just we want to bathe these, these folks in prayer and in your love and support and grace and patience and good health. So please, Lord, be with them. And for Amanda Winkhammer, um, who, who has ongoing health concerns, please be, be with her as well and be with her family. Help them be a support to her and help her know that you're on her side, that you're with her every step of the way, and uh, that her family loves her, and that you love her, and that we all love her as well. So make her know those things. You revealed your glory and presence, Lord. In your beloved Son, Jesus the Christ, in receiving our prayers, reveal the glory and presence of your Spirit alive in the world today. Free us from all that and empower us to act as a transfigured people. Um, and now we'll have a rendition of the Jamaica Lord's Prayer from our praise band. <clears throat> Join in. Yeah. 
After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and the clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, just terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So here we are for our second week of our new series based on the book by John Ortberg, Eternity is Now in Session, a radical rediscovery of what Jesus really taught about salvation, eternity, and getting to the good place. And this week we'll be talking about that first stage or first dynamic called awakening, seeing God everywhere. You'll pray with me. O fire divine, go through my heart. O light eternal, illuminate my soul. May we discover you in our loving through the spirit of Christ who abides in us. Amen. Well, you came back this week. So I guess you've decided to jump into the VW bus and share a journey with me, right? Yeah, some of you look a little scared. I won't drive. I'll have someone else drive. I love <laughs> Journeys are stories, really. They usually have a well-defined beginning with an end destination in mind. And whether we arrive at the intended destination or not, Getting there becomes a series of experiences that add to the tale. And of course, once we've experienced what awaits us at our destination, we can travel back again, contemplating whatever it is we learned in order to share the story with those who remain behind. Some of the greatest stories in literature are journey tales. The Odyssey, The Pilgrim's Progress, Don Quixote, Gulliver's Travels, Around the World in 80 Days, The Wizard of Oz, my favorites, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy, and even more recent satirical Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In all of these, an ordinary <clears throat> character leaves home to enter a strange, unknown world. The character faces dangers, toils, and snares. They die and are reborn. They are delivered. They are saved. They come home. As Ortberg says, this story retold a thousand times never grows old because it is our story. Our souls are on a journey to God. The Bible is a book of such journeys, beginning with Abraham, who leaves the only home he's known, taking his family to a new place to which God will lead him. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, is brought down to Egypt, becomes not only the one who saves Egypt from great famine, 
but who saves his family as well. Hundreds of years later, Joseph's descendant, Moses, leads the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt back home again. Israel eventually experiences the sad, strange, and unsettling journey into exile as a consequence of turning from God. And at the center of all of that great story is the grand journey of the one to whom all of the other historic journeys point. Jesus journeys from heaven to earth. He sets his face toward Jerusalem. He journeys to the cross and hell itself, and then back to life and heaven. Only now, with the gift of salvation, to give to all who desire it. Salvation is a journey to God. In Philippians 2, 12 to 13, Paul writes, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And as we know, our salvation is a gift from God. We do not work for our salvation, but we do work out our salvation. Our soul's journey toward God begins with our intention to follow Jesus. We make good on this, this intention by making a concrete and conscious decision to seek and obey him from moment to moment in our lives. Ortberg says that a decision cuts us off from alternatives. We speak of the road to hell being paved with good intentions, but not with good decisions. In other words, once we make the decision to follow and obey Jesus, and we consciously invite God into the daily moments of our lives, we are on the journey to salvation. We have entered into eternity in this earthly life. Ortberg writes, Obedience to Jesus in all things is the journey, but as we will see, obedience is a far more creative, proactive, grace-powered, intelligent way of life than is normally thought in our day. The gospel is sometimes expressed along these lines. The bad news is that you're a worse sinner than you thought. The good news is that you're more loved than you know. Well, imagine an alcoholic who received that gospel. It has good news, but not enough of it. An alcoholic needs to be loved, but she also needs to be saved from her alcoholism. In the 12 steps, a constant refrain is a call to action. One chapter that lays out the steps is simply called Into Action. It ends with these words, but this is not all. There is action and more action. Faith without works is dead. Humans need action because we are not passive ciphers. We have to do things to live. We work out our God-given salvation through the things we do. And in a similar vein, Martin Luther points out, old faith is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, so that it is impossible for it not to be constantly doing what is good. Likewise, faith does not ask if good works are to be done, but before one can ask, faith has already done them and is constantly active. 
Whoever does not perform such good works is a faithless faith. Founder of Methodism, John Wesley. He himself had so many things to say about the importance of doing to our salvation. In his famous sermon, The Scripture Way of Salvation, Wesley said, it is incumbent on all that there are justified to be zealous of good works. And these are so necessary that if a man willingly neglects them, he cannot reasonably expect that he shall ever be sanctified. However, the action that we need to be engaged is not a devotional to-do list to add to an already exhausting way of life. It is more the transformation of the actions we are constantly already engaged in. Not tiring, but rejuvenating. Not draining, but refilling. We need a path to follow. A journey without a path or direction is called being lost. <clears throat> so we will begin our journey of the soul with awakening, in which we begin to see God everywhere. Another literary genre as present in every age as the journey tale is the fairy tale. They are universal to nearly every culture in every age. And the reason is that they teach us what we need to know about life. First, they tell us that things are not always what they seem. For example, the ugly frog or the frightening beast is actually a handsome prince or the beautiful stepmother or lovely queen is actually a wicked witch. Fairy tales insinuate another wondrous world that this world merely points to, and that is not so far away from this one, but that we do not control in any way. They show us that what is ordinary can become a vehicle of the extraordinary. Stepping into a wardrobe, falling down a rabbit hole, Slipping a ring on a finger or rubbing a magic lamp suddenly opens the doorway to a new reality. Sometimes in fairy tales, a bite of poison apple or the prick of a spinning wheel or a 20-year nap causes the characters to fall into a death-like sleep from which they cannot escape and are powerless to awake. These tales endure to a modern day, to the modern day, because they are our story. How often do we find ourselves blind to the urgent matters surrounding us, as if we've been spellbound like Aurora or Snow White? Sometimes, in real life, something happens to awaken us from our enchanted sleep. Bill W. wakes up to the reality that he is a hopeless addict, and he founds Alcoholics Anonymous. Scarlett O'Hara suddenly awakens to the realization that it has been Rhett Butler that she loves all along, not Ashley Wilkes. Ebenezer wakes with joy to the possibilities of generous future after enduring the pain and loneliness of his miserly past. We might one day wake up to discover we are failing as parents, that we are workaholics, or that we have wasted years living in anger or fear. Maybe we wake to new passions for music or surfing or philanthropy. Maybe we suddenly answer a call to fight poverty, hunger, or racism. Maybe we awake to the realization that we have the skills to do good for the community by running for public office. Maybe we even awaken to God 
In the Bible, Moses is walking on Mount Horeb, watching his father-in-law's sheep. And he sees a bush he's passed probably a hundred times before, but this time it is a light with a strange flame that burns, but does not consume it. He turns aside to take a closer look and hears the voice of God speaking to him, telling him he's standing on holy ground. The trajectory of the rest of Moses' life changes because he was awakened to God. Our journey toward God begins with awakening. And with awakening come two conflicting emotions. The first is comfort, because God is good and life with him means existing in a universe that is perfectly safe for us. The second emotion is threat, because we realize how much in us is not good and will have to change in order to live with God which means that with that change will come some pain. Without the awakening, the energy and power of the spiritual life cannot fully take hold. Instead, it becomes routine and a dull habit instead of an acute fever. No one is moved to give away their possessions, move to the Amazon to teach sustainable farming, go to jail for the cause of civil rights, or be saved from alcoholism by a dull habit. <clears throat> On one Raymond family outing when I was about 11, we took a trip in our red and white VW to visit some friends who lived in Denver. We spent about three weeks traveling and camping with them around the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, Wyoming, and Utah. At the end of our trip, as we headed east through one of the mountain passes that would eventually lead us onto the Great Plains, toward Ohio and home, a thunderstorm rolled in from the west. We watched it slowly approach as we wound along on the two-lane mountain road full of switchbacks with gorgeous views of the mountain vista. And finally, the storm caught up with us, and Dad pulled the bus over onto the shoulder to wait out the torrential rain and lightning. It might have been frightening, but wasn't, because further east, Beautiful Jacob's ladders were breaking through the late afternoon clouds in shades of yellow and orange over the plains, stretching out forever in that direction. Within a few minutes, the rain lessened and the dark clouds, emptied of their burden, lightened too. Suddenly, around the bus, on every side, six rainbows appeared, one after another. The six existing ravens at the time watched in awe as the rainbow's colors intensified. They arced all the way across the sky. It was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen up to that point in my life. And it may still be the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. It was indeed a mountaintop experience that seemed to be designed for our eyes alone. <coughs> Maybe it was. I awoke to God's glory that day. Have you ever noticed that so many of the important events that occur in the Bible happen on mountaintops? Moses' encounter with the burning bush, God's covenant with the Israelites on Mount Sinai, Elijah's hearing the still small voice of God, Jesus renouncing Satan's temptation, Jesus choosing his disciples, the most famous teaching moment in history, 
is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And on a hill called Mount Calvary, humankind witnessed the extent of God's love for us. Jesus, on the day of his ascension, met his disciples for the last time on a mountaintop and told them to go into all the world and make disciples. Mountains are mentioned hundreds of times throughout scripture, and that's no accident. Mountaintops are where heaven and earth seem closest together. When we go up on a mountaintop, we are elevated above our normal way of seeing things. Obstacles shrink and become insignificant, and parts of the world that were not visible to us at ground level can now be seen. Our perspective broadens. Ortberg writes this, a mountain is the place of awakening to a reality we often can't see in the valley. Above all, it is awakening to the gospel of Jesus. The availability of life in the presence and power and grace and care of God now. Too many of us live in the valley of doubt, closing us in to a view as if from a terrarium with a lid on it, cut off from anything but our material reality. But we long for the fullness of life that is beyond our material existence, because we cannot glimpse it, we're no longer confident in a transcendent spiritual and moral realm beyond what we can see and know. We need a way to see the possibility of another world. Oh, sleeper awake, we need a mountain. Jesus' closest disciples were also crippled by this limited vision. Jesus, one day, invited Peter, James, and John to accompany him up on a high mountain. And this experience is a pivotal one in the New Testament account. Through the eyes of these three disciples, we too can journey through the wardrobe, down the rabbit hole, and up the beanstalk to get a glimpse of the other world that enables us to live wide awake in this one. Matthew 17, 1-3 begins the story. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. The lid is suddenly off the terrarium. When Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to walk up that mountain with him, they could have begged off. They'd been doing a lot of walking after all. They could have said that they had so much disciple work to do for Jesus that they didn't have to time to be with Jesus. Fortunately, though, they got some things wrong. But they got this one right. They said yes, and their reality was forever changed. The disciples' experience with Jesus changed them at the deepest level of their being. They had experienced for themselves the glory of God. They became intimate with Jesus in a new way because they had shared a life-changing experience with him. Spiritual awakening begins with an experience of God when we become fully aware of his presence in a new way. It may be through an experience of profound beauty 
like what I experienced on top of the mountain in Colorado. It may come through pain as a job loss, a divorce, the death of a loved one, or a dire health diagnosis. Even normal life changes can cause awakenings for us, like the birth of a baby, graduating from college, or falling in love. It can come through reading scripture, as when John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed at a Bible study. It can even happen in church. <laughs> <laughs> It can happen in prison, and it can happen in ways that are quite undramatic as well. Whenever and however it happens, though, we suddenly become aware of the unseen world in a visceral way that we had not before. Our ego becomes decentered, and our center becomes God. We become open to intimacy with God. Imagine the transfiguration if you could have been there for a moment. There's an Old Testament blessing that says, The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Well, light certainly shone from Jesus that day, so much so that it brightened them and they fell to the ground. There is a deep connection in the ancient world between the transcendent glory of God and shining light. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai after talking with Yahweh, we read that his face was radiant, so radiant that they were all afraid to come near him. Light is energy and beauty, but Jesus brings this experience to new heights. Moses only reflected God's glory, but Jesus radiated it. The disciples were allowed for just a moment to see what Jesus already knew that we live in a God-bathed, God-permeated world. We just are not fully awake to it on a daily basis because we are broken in our sin. Sin is like spiritual ambient. It keeps us asleep to the reality of God around us. It seems as if we can never fully awake, but with God, everything is possible. This is the reason why God pursues us Though we hide from him in our sins and escapes, loves and fears, and though we flee from him for years, we finally may stop and see. Peter, James, and John experienced a spiritual awakening well described by the 12 Stepped in Alcoholics Anonymous. When a man or a woman has a spiritual awakening, the most important meaning of it is that he has now become able to do, feel, and believe that which he could not do before on his unaided strength and resources alone. He has been granted a gift which amounts to a new state of consciousness and being. He has been set on a path which tells him he is really going somewhere, that life is not a dead end, not something to be endured or mastered. In a very real sense, he has been transformed. So, what should our response to awakening be? Orkwood tells us, God is not looking for us to relocate to the mountaintop permanently. It's not a constant vision of the transfiguration. That vision comes when it comes for a moment as a gift. It's important to realize that first and foremost, the response to awakening is obedience. We read in Matthew 17, 5, 
While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. We're to listen to Jesus and do what he says. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But here's the thing. Because we do not live in a continual moment of transfiguration, because the moment of awakening is fleeting, we have to use the gift of awakening every single day. And to do that, we have to invite Jesus into the minutia of our daily lives. What God wants from us is different for everyone. We each have different life experiences, gifts, and skill sets. There is plenty of work to be done for the kingdom. We won't run out. We must remain open to what Jesus asks of us by inviting Jesus into the small moments of our lives. We have to allow him not only to pursue us, but invite him to walk beside us in intimate friendship every day. Only then can we fully expand our reality into the eternity that is now. Amen.
And in the same way, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to the disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In the symbol of the broken bread, we participate in the life of Christ and dedicate ourselves to being his disciples. Let us partake of the bread together, the body of Christ broken for you. In the symbol of the cup, we participate in the new life Christ brings. So let us partake of the wine together, the blood of Christ shed for you. Let us pray. We give thanks, loving God, that you have refreshed us at your table. Strengthen our faith, increase our love for one another, and as we have been fed by the seed that became grain and then became bread, may we go out into the world to plant seeds of justice, transformation, and hope. Amen.
unfortunately, our hour together is up, which always makes me sad. But I know that I will be able to join you again next Sunday, so I have something to look forward to. But I'll leave you with these good words this morning. Come down from the mountain with mountain-like faith. Walk on God's paths as bright, shining lights. Live in God's ways with faith, hope, and love. Go into the world transformed and renewed.